0: Luke chapter 7, please. While you're turning there, I I want to say that uh, I've been in planning meetings where we plan conferences and sometimes the speakers are in the meeting and nobody wants to take the session uh, right after lunch. (laughs) So... I'll work hard and you work hard. <laughs> the second thing is that I, I want to thank you for the fellowship. I have come here uh, to this country a, a little bit worn down, and uh, it's been uh, refreshing, soul refreshing to be with the walkers, and it's been soul refreshing to be with you and uh, to listen to your singing and to interact and to enjoy studying the Word of God together with you and to hear your serious questions and your thoughtful interactions. So it's been uh, so refreshing for me, so I thank you for that. Let's pray and we'll seek the Lord's face together. Our gracious God and Father, we are so grateful to you for... The fact that we have been able to fellowship together and we've been able to sing your praises together. We've been able to sing a few moments ago about the love of our Lord Jesus. Oh, we're so thankful for that. We are so amazed that he should love us and that he should shed his blood for us and that he should then make us his own. We thank you that we can be together now and study your word together and we pray that your spirit whose great work it is to sanctify us and to teach us about the Lord Jesus and help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our savior. Oh we pray that he will be our teacher today. We don't rely on men. We're not trusting in the flesh. We're not uh, leaning upon the abilities of of human beings. Oh Lord, we're coming to you and praying that you will open our eyes I'm praying that you will bring the scriptures home to us in power and you will set the Lord Jesus before us, that we might love him more deeply and follow him more closely. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I don't suppose that I need to tell you that this is a harsh and a cruel place, this world in which we live. Uh, Sometimes you listen to uh, men who are evolutionary in their perspective and atheistic in their outlook towards God and uh, they're they're hard people. I was reading about a man named Clarence Darrow. Clarence Darrow was a very famous lawyer in the early part of the century, 20th century, an American man. He, uh, He was a defense lawyer for the Leopold and Loeb Uh, A murder case he uh, was the defense lawyer in the um, Scopes Monkey Trial he defended John Scopes and um, but he was an evolutionary he had an evolutionary perspective and oh he said uh, he said things like you should we should just put if you find babies who are handicapped and and uh, troubled like that we should just put them to death you know, that's their perspective. And, um, and you know, you, you wonder why people who are evolutionists, you wonder why they responded as they did during COVID. Because, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, you should just welcome COVID. It's great because it thins, thins out the herd, you know. It, it gets rid of the weak. That's what we were told is going to target um, old people and so on and so forth. It's like great. This is the way it is. This is life. Don't resist it. But, you know, that's the cold perspective of evolution. But Christianity, it's like an oasis in a desert. And you turn from that to this. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. That's the story of what we believe. That's the story of the Bible. That's what we believe. That's who God is. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And we're Christians, and we go through this life with our eyes fixed on Jesus. There's all kinds of things that distract us, all kinds of things that disorient us. But we're doing what Hebrews says, and we're going to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, author and finisher of our faith. And we walk through this world. It's a dangerous world, but our eyes are fixed on him. And who is he? Well, he's the one about whom Wesley spoke. Jesus, thou art all compassion. That's the one we focus on. We're people then as Christians who, whilst we're in this world, we're pointing people to him. (laughs) We have contact with people who are shattered because of sin. Their lives are broken because of their iniquity and they suffer immensely. And it's our job to point them to Jesus. And we do what the people in the Bible do. And we do what John the Baptist did. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. And that's what we do in this world. Whatever your job is, this is your calling. Whatever you do, nine to five five days a week. This is what you're supposed to do beyond anything else, and that's to point people to Jesus. So who are you pointing them to? These these poor sinners in the world. You're pointing them to the Jesus who is all compassion. That's what we want to think about this afternoon. We want to bathe ourselves in the sweetness of this blessed attribute of compassion. We want to fix our gaze on Jesus who looks with pity on this fallen race. We want to drink in the nectar of his tender care for needy sinners, hoping that it'll transform us and hoping that we'll be able under him to pass on the good news about this loving and compassionate Savior to those all around us who are in such trouble desperate need who are sinking into hell as we speak we point them to Christ and well, i want to talk to you about the compassion of the lord jesus repeatedly in the gospels we're told that he is all compassion matthew 9:36 when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I look at the crowds and I just get angry. Mm. What is wrong with you people? I get a grip. You know, I think that. Or uh, in Toronto, we have some helpless people, uh, some homeless people. And I I pulled up to a stop sign. And a man came up to me, you know, outside. And he's going to wash my window if I give him a buck. I thought to myself, get a job. Like a real job. I was on my way to a seminary to go and teach. And afterwards I thought, you hard hearted man, where's the compassion of Christ? So he looks at the crowd and he has compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd. Matthew, oh, sorry, Luke seven thirteen. The Lord sees a widow and she is bearing her only son. And it says that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep. Matthew 20, verse 34. The Lord meets two blind men. And we read, so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. And then Mark 141. The Lord meets a leper, and we read, Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched them. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. That's, that's our Lord Jesus. And there are at least three truths that I can point out to you that are related to his compassion. And the first is this that he, he knows. He knows. So when the Lord Jesus saw the widow, he had compassion on her. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He knew what life was like for her. He understood what it meant for her, this situation and this day. When she buries her son, her only son. He knows that now she is bereft of a son as well as a husband. And he knows what difficulty faces her and how hard the world is going to be, given the fact that now she is a widow, bereft of her son. And he knows what this means for her life. He knows how troubled that life will be, and he has compassion on her. He knew what life was like for the crowd, and he knew the misery that they had brought upon themselves, because the compassion of the Lord Jesus, that's not compassion that ignores sin and doesn't acknowledge the consequences of those sin, and God knows all about this. But he knows about the misery and the trouble that they bring upon themselves because of the sin, and his response to that misery and his response to that trouble is to have compassion on them. And so he knew what life was like for them, and he knew that they were without hope and without God in the world, as Paul describes unbelievers. And he knows that for them life is empty, We know from Ecclesiastes that life under the sun, life separate from God, is vain, it is empty. And the Lord Jesus knows that that's what life is like for these people. And life is empty and and life is hard. So the Lord Jesus knows. He knows what's going on. When the children of Israel languished in Egypt when they were suffering under the lash of their oppressors we read this in Exodus chapter 2 and verses 23 and following Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23 during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for their help for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I smiled when this reference came up in the discussion, because I planned to mention it during this Message Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And sometimes life is so difficult that you're, you're shattered by it, and it's hard to even listen to the word of God. And what I'm saying to you is that But if that's the case for you, if you're struggling and if life is very difficult for you, and if you're feeling shattered and if it's hard even to listen to the word of God, I want you to know that God knows. I want you to know that he knows all about you. He knows all about your circumstances. And I would imagine that for these children of Israel, it would have been enormous comfort when eventually they realized That God knew all along, He knew. And the Lord Jesus knows about you, He he sees your circumstances. We, We might be unaware of it. And so often, even in compassionate churches, other believers. They don't really know. Sometimes you're not at liberty. Sometimes it's difficult to articulate. Sometimes it's just too painful to talk about. I have things that's difficult to talk about because they hurt so much. But He knows, you see. He knows. I have a friend, uh, he's with the Lord now. He was my pastor, he was my mentor. He's my example and is the finest man I've ever known. And they had a baby, he and his wife, and the, the baby died. And uh, uh, so, you know, Christians try to help, don't they? And they write and they say things and they send stuff. And, and he, he always used to say that the, the thing that helped him the most, there was another couple in the church, they'd also lost a baby. And, uh, and they wrote a card. It didn't say much. It just said, we understand. That's it. We understand. Hmm? Now, that is of tremendous help when it's people. Someone, you know, you're not in the boat yourself. There's someone else there. And they understand. But imagine this now it's not a person now, now it's God. And He understands. And you don't have to explain to him. You don't have to describe. You don't have to say, but but you don't get it. No. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who fully sympathizes, who fully understands, who knows us inside and out. And he knows us like we don't know ourselves. To be honest, our hearts are a mystery to ourselves. We, we don't understand why we are the way we are. But he does. That's what I'm saying to you. And it's a wonderful comfort. This is the Jesus we follow. This is the Lord we serve. This is the one who loves us. This is the one who's promised he'll be with us right to the end. He knows second thing about the Lord Jesus and his sympathy is that he cares. Sometimes people know, and frankly, they don't care. You can switch the channel, right? They put all these pictures there, and they show all these videos to tug at your heartstrings, and you just go, there's the soccer game. There it is. Or I should say football. It's, and I'd rather watch that because I want to feel better. So, so you can know, but you don't care. When the Lord Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. He cared. This is a wonderful word, this word compassion. Dr. Warfield says this is the emotion most frequently attributed to the Lord Jesus. This is the response from the heart. This is a response of pity. This is a response of concern. He is not unmoved by the misery he witnesses. And this is the God we read about in the Old Testament scriptures. This is the God we read about in Psalm 78. Listen to Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. Oh, I'm going to tell these children. I'm going to tell the next generation about our God and who he is and what he has done. And what does he tell them? Well, he tells them, among other things, about the compassion of our God. And so we read in verse 37 of the same psalm. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often, but did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Oh, he says, all these troubled people, all these sinful souls, but the Lord has compassion on them. He is merciful to them. He is kind to them. Ah, they don't deserve it. But he's full of compassion. And so we read in Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8. The Lord says, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. That's our God. That's the, the God of the Scriptures. We read also in the fact about the, in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, verse twenty: "Is Ephraim not, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart my heart yearns for him." This is talking about God. This is not some mealy-mouthed, namby-pamby individual who's trying to be just soft and gentle. This is about God. My heart yearns for him. God's heart yearns for sinners. And I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And and this compassion, you see, is, is of the very essence of the nature of God. This is who God is. In Exodus 33... Moses says, Show me your glory. Just turn there for a moment to Exodus 33 and verse 18. Show me your glory. And then again, verse 19. Exodus 33 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then chapter 34 and verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yes, that's true. But first and foremost, he says, God is merciful, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in steadfast love. Show me your glory. This is my glory. Show me what you're like. Well this is what I'm like. He's gracious and kind and loving and compassionate. And Sib says, when he tells us about who he is, he speaks of himself as clothed with all uh, clothed in all sweet attributes. That's who our God is. So when the Lord Jesus comes, we're not surprised with this kind of Old Testament background, with this kind of revelation that has already been received by the people of God. We're not surprised that when Jesus comes into the world and he sees sinners and he looks out upon the masses and he sees the crowd lost, his heart goes out to him, his emotions are stirred, his love is enlivened and he looks at them and he has compassion on these troubled people. We're not surprised at that. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, we read that Jesus comes into the world. And this is how he's described. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now he's... He's talking about Jesus coming into the world. And so what happens is that the goodness of God and the loving kindness of God has appeared into the world. And so in Bethlehem, what's happened is the embodiment of goodness and the embodiment of loving kindness has entered the world. It's an interesting word, that word loving kindness. It's the word philanthropia. And so this is God who is the great philanthropist, and Jesus is the embodiment of that. Dr. Dunn on the Cloud says, great lover of humanity as he was, the sight of our misery moved him to the quick, and he longed to give us rest. That's not how I always respond when I see the masses. Great lover of humanity as he was. That's our Lord Jesus. The sight of our misery moved him to the quick, and he longed to give us rest. That's the Lord Jesus. So listen. He knows all about you. And he cares about you. And the burdens you carry, he's aware of. And the weight of that burden upon you, he cares about. So, the compassion of the Lord Jesus, he he knows and he cares. And then thirdly, he helps. He helps. The wonderful thing about the Lord's compassion is that it is married to his power. Years ago, I chatted with a pastor. He had lost his wife to cancer. She was young, and the children were small. And he said that what got him through it was the love of God and the sovereignty of God. Those two. Those two. The love of God and the sovereignty of God. Those two brought together to help his people. And that's what we see when we talk, when we see the Lord Jesus and his compassion, that's what we see. So in Luke 7, he had compassion on her and he said to her, Do not weep. And then he touched the coffin and he raised the young man. See, it's compassion and it's power. In Matthew 24, uh, 34, so Jesus had compassion and touch their eyes and immediately they receive their sight. It's that blessed combination of compassion and power. Of course, the Lord Jesus helps in various ways, all kinds of ways, and most of them are not miraculous. And he helps us. He cares about us. And he helps us. And usually in non-miraculous ways. I found, I found the Lord helping me in the last year and a half or so. I told you quickly about the struggles we've had in our church and our family and in our family because of our church. And I found the Lord uh, having compassion on us and upon me in a variety of ways. And this kind of help that I'm talking about has been manifested in a variety of ways. For instance, we, uh, we started a church, and we didn't have a building, uh, so we met in a park. For several Sundays, we met in a park. And um, you know what? Uh, the weather was great. It wasn't windy. It wasn't rainy. It wasn't too hot. And in Canada, it wasn't too cold. It was just great. For several Sundays. And then we found a place. And then the heavens broke loose. (laughs) Yeah, that's a small thing you think. No, it wasn't to us. It was massive. The kindness of God helping his people. The kindness of the Lord Jesus, his compassion for weak sinners like us. is manifested in uh, cards that are sent. I don't know if you send cards. I don't send cards. I, I don't even think about it till afterwards. And, but people send cards, and they write things, and they say things, and it was a wonderful help. And uh, you see, that's the way God helps us. But put those aside for a moment, and let me emphasize two ways in which God helps his people, two ways in which the compassionate Christ draws alongside of poor sinners like us and helps us. First of all, his words. His words. You think about the way the Lord Jesus helps his poor people. His words, the things he says to us, the promises he gives to us, the declarations he makes in his word to us. Oh, he says, don't be anxious about your life. That's the the Lord Jesus to us in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about your life. Are you anxious about your life? Jesus says, now don't be anxious about your life. He says, your heavenly Father knows what you need and he cares for you. That's what he tells us. To those who are burdened, are you carrying weights? It's not the weight of sin that you used to because that's been dealt with. But now these are other burdens in your life. And the Lord Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. And he's given you rest once and for all as a Christian. But he gives you rest all through your life. He says to you, my peace is I give to you. And then you find in the midst of all kinds of troubles and all kinds of difficulties... It's a kind of a curious peace. It's the peace of God, which really does pass understanding. And the world doesn't offer that kind of peace. And even Christians, we don't understand that kind of peace. But it's peace that God gives you. And you find yourself to be the eye of the storm and all about you. Everybody's losing their head and the winds are swirling and the rain is lashing. But you have a measure of peace that you've never known before. It's from God. And it's the peace of God that really does pass understanding. He gives that to us. This is how he helps us. He tells us these things and reminds us of these truths and he makes these promises to us. He says to you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that's why you can say, honestly, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. This is how God helps us. This is how the compassionate Christ assists us and carries us along through a very difficult world his words. But then also our words. We can go to him in prayer. We can cry out to him. We can go to our sympathetic high priest. We can call on the name of the most high God and we will receive a compassionate hearing. We will receive a gracious response and we will be given a helping hand. We can call upon the Lord Jesus. We can bring our troubles to him. We can lay them at his feet. We can set our groanings before the throne. And we know that the Lord will hear and we're confident that the Lord will help. With some people, I'm afraid to show my pain and my weakness. Not the Lord. We can go and pour our hearts out to him. We can go and be honest before him. Dale Ralph Davis is commenting on First 1 Samuel 1.15 and Hannah. Hannah pouring her heart out to the Lord. Hannah pouring her soul out. Hannah in the midst of her pain and her anguish. And the priest doesn't understand, but she comes to God and she speaks. And he says this. Many Christians need to realize that Yahweh, our God, allows us to do this. To pour our griefs and our sobs and our complexities and our perplexities at his feet. Our Lord can handle our tears, he says. It will make him nervous or ill at ease if you unload your distress at his feet. I don't know if you've ever had someone unload their distress so honestly that it makes you uncomfortable. I've heard someone wailing and it made me uncomfortable. It's hard to handle that. You know, not, not weeping, not even sobbing, but actual wailing. Wailing. No, he he says, Our Lord can handle our tears. It won't make him nervous or ill at ease if you unload your distress at his feet. With such anguish in her heart, Hannah prayed long and hard for God's help. David says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Psalm 142. So the compassionate Christ helps us. And he helps us in so many practical ways. He helps us through his words that we read in the scriptures. And he helps us through the fact that we can bring our words and pour our heart out before him. And I pour my complaints before him and tell my trouble before him. And I know he hears with a gracious heart and with a compassionate ear. He helps. John Newton was a was a real pastor. He was a man of tender hearts, a man of great wisdom. He's writing to a member of his congregation. If you've never read Newton's letters, you really want to do it. He's writing to a member of his congregation who was undergoing affliction. He says this. He says, Like sheep, we are weak, destitute, defenseless, prone to wander, unable to return, and always surrounded by wolves. But all is made up in the fullness, ability, wisdom, compassion, care, and faithfulness of our great shepherd. He guides, protects, feeds, heals, and restores, and will be our guide and our God even until death. Then he will meet us, receive us, and present us to himself. And we shall be near to him, and like him, and with him Forever. Isn't that wonderful? There you have it. That's the Lord's compassion. Let me give you some implications. Comfort. We should be comforted. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what I'm suffering. Doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We're immensely comforted because we have a compassionate Christ. He doesn't afflict willingly. We know that from lamentations. God doesn't delight to see us go through trials. He's full of compassion, is the Lord Jesus. Many times we've watched loved ones go through pain and struggle, and and we've known that that, that's hard, and and we've known that, that that's necessary and ultimately good. And so we steal ourselves and we say, well now this is necessary for them to go through. My mother was found to have cancer. She was given chemotherapy, and she lost her hair. It's hard to watch. It's painful to see. It was good for her. Killed the cancer. So God doesn't afflict willingly, takes no pleasure in our pain, but he brings us through these things because he knows his unsearchable wisdom has determined that this is precisely what we need, and God is too wise to be unkind, and uh, rather, too wise to be mistaken. He's too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken, so when he puts us through these things, it's not because he finds pleasure in our suffering, it's because he knows that that's precisely what we need, It's that which we need to mortify sin and to bring us into conformity to the image of our Lord Jesus. And he sympathizes with us in our troubles. And so in our darkest days, we sing with Wesley, Jesus, you are all compassion. That's tremendous comforts for us. Great comforts for those who are Christ's. And because of that, we we experience joy. When the compassionate Christ draws alongside of us in our affliction and we experience the manifestations of that confidence, He reaches out and He touches us. Now uh, we respond with, with thanksgiving and joy. The Bible. Uh, expects us to have joy, it tells us that we are a joyful people that uses the word joy or joyful 250 times. We don't mope around, us Christians. We don't drag ourselves around and whine and complain. We're joyful people. Shame on us if we're not, even in the midst of trouble. And when your joy begins to fade, well, you turn you... Look towards the Lord Jesus and contemplate him and and think about these kinds of things. You think about your deliverance. You've been saved from the city of destruction and you are destined for the glories of heaven. You think about your dependence. The Lord has provided all kinds of circumstances and situations and people to help you and to carry you through. You think about... Uh, the fact that he's given you his spirit uh, to teach you and to sanctify you. He's given you his word to guide you. It's a light to your path. He's given you his ear to hear you. Read that in Hebrews 4, 16 and 18. He's given you his people. He's, he's put Christians all around you to encourage you, to be examples to you, to whisper words of instruction and exhortation in your ear, to give you examples to follow. He's given you his people. So you think about your deliverance and you think about the, your dependence and all the things that you can depend on that he's provided for you. And then you think about your destination. You're going to heaven. You're going to a place where there are no tears. You're going to a place where there is no sin, where the lion lies down with the lamb where there's no more sea, where Jesus and God, they're the light and the sun, where God will, once you get there, wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's where you're going. You're going to the glory. That's your destination. So yes, the Lord Jesus is full of compassion and so you're comforted. He's full of compassion, and as a result, you will know joy because of all these glorious mercies that he's showered upon you. So comfort. And the second thing is compassion. That is your compassion. He looks on you with compassion. We must extend the same compassion to others. You must be compassionate toward those around you. If you look at Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8, do it. You can do that later, but what you'll find is that, the, that God is compassionate to sinful people. God is compassionate to sinful people. He's not just compassionate to suffering people, He's compassionate to. That's a nice tune. Yeah? <laughs> He's not just compassionate. To suffering people, he's compassionate. To sinful people, I have trouble with that. There was a there's a there's a young man did me much harm, and then he and his wife lost a baby. So, before that, my struggle was to not be angry. And then his baby dies. And I realize I, I need to be compassionate. I need to pray. And compassion needs to drive me to the throne and pray for that young man. I find that hard. But that's what I'm supposed to do. And those people who sinned against you, you need to be compassionate towards them. You do. You can't get around that. And Believe me, I've tried. (laughs) But you won't be able to get around that. You need to be like your Savior. You say, but, yeah, but they, they, they." yeah, we know. (laughs) You don't think God knows about how sinful these people were. You know, I, I was when I wasn't a Christian, I persecuted people like you. I used to tell Christians, you need to stand up in your own two feet. You need to get rid of that crutch. You need to get rid of religion. You just are so emotionally stunted, you can't stand up in your own two feet. And I attacked them mercilessly. I went after them. And he had... He had compassion on me. He was kind to me. He saved me. So when I encounter people who are, well, they're not just suffering. Oh, they're wicked. I need to have compassion on them. Hmm? It doesn't mean I ignore sin. I, you know, identify things and we deal with them. But I need to do that with the heart of Compassion. So, compassion. Thirdly, conversion. Conversion. Comfort for us if we're Christians. Compassion from us towards those who are sinful and suffering. And conversion. Now I'm talking to you if you're not a Christian. John Calvin wrote, God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive so it ought to be dis- it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him hmm? god is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive so that it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him you see what he's saying if you're not a christian that's not god's fault it's yours And he's saying that God is full of compassion and he wants to save you. He's saying that God in his compassion has spread a great feast before you. Now, we're we're thankful for Maidenbauer. We're thankful for the fact that they brought us together here and the fact that they've been kind to us and they put some uh, feast before us and, and we've eaten and you know we've been blessed by their kindness oh but here's a feast the like of which you will find nowhere else in the world and the compassion of the lord jesus it has set before us a feast and there is bread of life there is water of life it is free for the taking you will eat your fill here at this feast And this feast is life-giving. Because you will eat of the Lord Jesus and you will drink of the Lord Jesus and you will have life, spiritual life now, everlasting life in the world to come. is the Lord Jesus. And he loves to have sinners come. And his arms are open wide for you to come. And he pleads with you to come. And in Isaiah 55, God just urges you to come why will you not come you see God is not reluctant you can't blame this on him no he, he opens his arms wide to you and he says oh I have sent my son and I set him before you just, just look to him and live Turn away from your sin and come to Jesus. Forsake your iniquity and call upon his name, and you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven, and you'll be washed whiter than snow. You'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. That guilt that you've been struggling with, what may be for decades, will be gone. And the psychologists psychologists have said, you, you shouldn't feel guilty. No, you should. But God is the answer to that. And so come, the Lord Jesus invites you, commands you, urges you, calls you. There's life for a look at the Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have. Let's pray. Gracious God, how we thank you for your Son. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for your love and kindness and compassion to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for teaching us about the Lord Jesus, opening our eyes to him and to his beauty and glory. And We pray that you will work in the lives of those who are in this room today, not strangers to the grace of Christ. And oh, we pray that you'll bless them, Pray that you will save them. Pray that you will draw them with bands of sovereign power to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that they will be able to join with us even in this closing hymn to sing the praises of our God. Do this, our Father, and help us, we who know Christ, to grow in our love and our devotion to him, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.